Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And I plan on writing a poem about this epic pie. Interesting. More on that later. <laughs> a little a little spoiler there into our draft episode discussion. A little razzle-dazzle. Yeah, we brought it back. Uh, second ever draft episode from VCR. That's right. We had so much fun the last time. We're bringing it back. <laughs> yeah. New topics, new uh, categories. And you know what? From the little feedback I've heard about our podcast, this one seemed to be really well received. A lot of people had fun with this last time, so we're doing it again. Before we get into what we drafted, let's maybe fill in like the details of the rules here. About a month ago, we each randomly picked a category, and then we had to draft three movies. And in Michael's case, he ended up getting six seasons and a movie, so more on that later. Oof. Yeah, so we each got our own category, and then we had to pick three movies that kind of joined or connected and tell a story with those three movies, essentially. Uh, so I got Franchise, Jason, you got Actor or Actress, and Michael, you got Six Seasons in a Movie. I sure did. <laughs> That's t- too much. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly too it much. It was a lot. Yeah, yeah. I guess my question for you, Mike, is... How do you want to split this? Because last time, the way we discussed it is we each did a movie and we each talked about our movie. Do you, Have you thought about how you want to approach this discussion at all? Are you asking me because I have the most content to go through? Not necessarily. The, well, yeah, the most content, but also because like, do you want to discuss your the TV show in between our discussion? Like, do you want to do only talk twice well spoiler alert but this tv show i'm talking about has three seasons and i've only Mm -hmm. seen one of them so (laughs) (laughs) but 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 it it kind of fits when i tell you more about the show do you guys want to guess the show that i'm talking about oh i already i'm I'm already like 90 percent sure that you did ash vs. the evil dead and the evil dead series (laughs) well then you don't know me as well as you think you do because i did damn it (laughs) (laughs) that's right so wow yeah no i didn't i didn't is it. it my little pony (laughs) <laughs> well, that's my other podcast, which you guys oh, don't need right. to know about. So <laughs> so if it was me, I would have picked the Twilight Zone. Why don't you guys just run through it, and then we'll save me for the end. We'll build the anticipation. Actually, you know what? Actually, why don't I read some quotes from this TV show just to get people's okay. minds turning? Interesting. Okay. So I will. it's six seasons in a movie, so it's this TV show has three seasons, and then there was a movie that came out in between the second and third season. So huh. I'm going to read a couple quotes from the TV show, and then I'm going to read a couple quotes from the movie. Actually, okay. I'm going to start with the movie, and then I'm going to go to the TV show. So let me just pull up my notes here. And by the way, like um, this director isn't necessarily known for his dialogue, but wow. <laughs> Here's one of my favorite quotes. It's I'll just say character A and character B just for the sake of obscuring things so character why don't why don't um side note before you start too why don't you do a couple of quotes here and then between each of our like mine and jason's movies hit another quote and see if we can guess it off the quote (laughs) okay okay so here's quote one you know agent desmond i figure this whole office furniture included is worth twenty seven thousand dollars Okay, only give us one more before... Uh... Okay, here, I'm just going to spoil my favorite quote then. I'm as blank as a fart. <laughs> 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 
What a wonderful quote. What a wonderful quote. <laughs> I'm going to Okay, I'm going to guess once. Don't don't tell me if I'm right or not based on those lethal weapon. Oh. Maybe maybe not. Cuz there's an agent in there, maybe. I see, that's a good guess. I have nothing right now. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come back to me. All right. Do you want to do you guys want to guess me or Jason? You go first. I'm going to say lethal weapon. Okay. Just cuz you <laughs> Just because you said it. Fair enough. If we both did Lethal Weapon, that'd be interesting. Could you imagine if (laughs) I also picked an actor for... (laughs) You picked Mel Gibson and just did all Lethal Weapon movies. (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny. Franchises, eh? Is it Rocky? It is not Rocky. Rambo. It's definitely not Rambo. He's not into Rambo as much. Terminator. It's not Terminator, but Terminator was up there in my choices. It made the second final cut. Is it... A classically known like ser- like franchise like everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. Star Wars. No. Ah, uh, Star Trek. No. All right, I'm gonna cut you off there. You've guessed a lot, Jason. For actor actress, Mike and I get a few guesses here as well. Actor is it actor or is it actress? It's an actor. Okay. I feel like you didn't do Jack Nicholson this time because you did him in Chinatown. Charles Bronson. Humphrey Bogart was one that I was maybe thinking you might have picked. I picked something that would throw you guys off completely because I didn't pick something that's like very obvious. Interesting. Like it's not like I didn't pick like an artsy, like a really good actor. (laughs) I I picked the worst actor ever. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no. He's not. He's not bad. He, He had some. He was worth watching. Um, but is he is he kind of not regarded as one of the greats? No. Is okay. he can is he Canadian? No. Is it Bruce Campbell? No. Okay. I I don't know. Bill Murray, uh Chevy Chase, comedian? He he no, he had a very quick uh rise, mm-hmm. a very quick fall, and then a blank period, and then a quick mm-hmm. rise. Like a little jump recently. Paul Hogan? No. Is he back? I don't know if he's back or not. I don't think so. Did you say Hulk Hogan? I said Paul Hogan. You know, (laughs) Crocodile Dundee? (laughs) Okay. I would love to see him in something new. Brother. (laughs) Hey, brother. (laughs) I'd like to thank the Academy. Uh, no, I'm I'm stuck on yours. I'm genuinely curious, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Okay, so... who Who is a one-hit wonder? So he was huge in the 90s. He started in the 80s uh, and was, was like one of the top build guys in the early oh, 90s. Oh, is it Steven Seagal? No. <laughs> okay. Um, is it Jim Carrey? No. Oh, oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Val Kilmer. No, it's not that exciting. <sighs> but, but Val There's... Kilmer fits the mold here. Is he back too? Something A recently? He was, he was in he... Chop Gun Maverick. Thanks to Oh, AI. yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a documentary. All right, let, let's, let's cut to the chase here. Let's, let's announce what you and I did each and, uh, talk about why we picked what we picked, I guess. I still want to keep you guys on the hook though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, maybe I'll start then. Okay. I started with 30 movie franchises. Like, I wrote a list of all the movie franchises that came to my head. Um, I did some Googling, and then I kind of narrowed it down to maybe, like, five. 
from there, I narrowed it down to a couple more. I I down to three, and I I talked to like a bunch of family and friends, kind of looked online, people's thoughts of each one. Recently, Jess has been giving me a lot of trouble, uh, and some of our other listeners for not picking like movies that are super mainstream. We've we've gone really off the beat. <laughs> yeah, recently. <laughs> I mean, we've who watched the fuck some good stuff. Watch Aguirre. <laughs> like, oh my god, Aguirre was awesome. Shut the hell right. up, Michael. You shut your mouth when I'm t- you're talking to me. Um, that was said so like not confidently. Side note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to get better at shit talking me. <laughs> um, I decided to pick one of the most mainstream, long running movie series. Of all time, <sighs> do you do you have a guess, Michael? Indiana Jones. No, but that would have been very timely and a good been, idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It made the top of the list, but it didn't quite get there. Have we covered any of the movies on the podcast? No. I should have <clears throat> led with that question like five minutes ago, but it's a movie series that every movie captures the era in which that movie takes place in very well, and it's. It's very interesting because every movie feels like a time capsule of that period. Alien? No, but Alien was also on my list. <laughs> the no, it can't be The Godfather because we haven't. No, we've already give us, done it. Give us like a better hint. Come on. <laughs> so I've actually had two box sets of uh, this movie series on my side table, Mike. You've been hanging out at my house for probably like two, three weeks, two, three times. And every time I was like, ah, I, I should move those. And then I forget every time. And uh, yeah, you miss them. It's a movie series that my grandparents actually gave me in my teenage years to watch. Is it horror? No. Okay. Comedy? No. Action. Yes. Oh, it's James Bond. It's James Bond. There we go. Oh, yeah. Of the most mainstream wow. wow. movie series of all time. Like the longest running. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why did it take us so long to get there? I, I was like, I was scared because I kept leaving it out like that. And you just kept not saying anything about it. And I was worried because I was like, oh, I keep forgetting that. And I don't want to spoil it. I mean, I saw it, but it obviously <laughs> didn't make an impression on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to know which three you picked, too. Yeah, because there's, a, I believe, 27 movies uh, in the series. So it's a very interesting movie series. I did go through some of the the best, obviously. Like, I want to showcase the best that James Bond has to offer. Um, but there's also, you know, a balance about the history behind James Bond as well. So, you know, give or take with, with each of them. Jason, let's hear what uh, you picked. Okay, so I didn't do any, like, fancy writing down 30 options thing. (laughs) I wanted to watch one movie and one movie only, and then it's just been on my list, and I'm like, I really got to see that. And uh, so that's one thing I'll tell you. It's uh, all of these movies are from the 90s, and uh, this actor... Yeah, he's he's come back up recently with uh, a series, and but he didn't really do TV before, obviously in the nineties. Um, huh. He has a mullet. He was very Mel Gibson esque. Like they were at like they were both like peaking at the same time. They probably hung out a lot. It's not Sylvester Stallone, is it? No, no. Nah, no, he was before that time. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and uh, he's like. He's a household name, 
really. It's and not Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was the 70s, right? Yeah, that was that was he's too early. Um, I don't think he's come back either. No, that's true. One of he did two baseball movies that I didn't do. Oh, <laughs> it's Kevin Costner. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Costner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't that oh. out of the like? Isn't that a weird one to pick for like a serious thing like this? Like that, <laughs> picking you... three. I could have picked some amazing actors. No, he never, I like. You know what? He never I'm... like went away though. Wasn't he always kind of big? Uh, no, not really. I, he kind I of faded not. a little bit. I think I think Waterworld kind of killed his career for a few years. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see what you watched, Jason. I'm going to guess you watched, and you guys could guess what I watched for James Bond after this, but I'm going to guess you watched Waterworld and you watched Dances with Wolves for two you, of your three. You'll find out. Cool. Okay. I recently watched Dances with Wolves for the first time and I really, really liked it. So. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah, there's like a, at least five movies that I really wanted to watch, and uh, there were some technical problems that I had that led me to watch the ones that I did. I'll tell you two that I really wanted to watch was um, A Perfect World, which mm. is mm-hmm. with, it's a Clint Eastwood-directed movie, and it was like one of his like best acting credits. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other one was uh i forget right now he also had the robin hood movie oh yeah with the brian adams song possibly yeah i think my brother-in-law really really likes that movie he actually had a few like really good movies and Mm -hmm. then yeah like he had this major divorce during uh while he was filming Waterworld, and then from there like the next it was the one before that was um Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Val Kilmer had a very public divorce during the filming of The Island of Dr. Moreau, and that movie was also a shit show. So... <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't his fault, necessarily. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe just don't go through a divorce when you're filming a giant movie. <laughs> it's bad for business. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Wyatt Earp is mm. a, another big movie of his, but yep. that, it's it's like a documentary style, or like it's based on a real person or whatever, but that was such a big flop that mm-hmm. um when he was doing Waterworld, like he was in a funk he's great on yellowstone though exactly like he is really like i watched a couple episodes here and there with my parents during the pandemic and i remember being like oh wow like he can actually act like okay so i think now that we know our movies and and mike you're gonna keep us uh hanging a little bit longer so with james bond you know, like I said, it's it's a very timely movie. It's a time capsule into the time period in which it comes out. You know, each each movie is almost like a a response to the times, the movies that they came out in. So there's also, you know, the discussion of the different actors who played James Bond and everything. And I wanted to cover like all of these different aspects of it, right? So I did it in kind of a chronological order of movies that that I was going to watch because I wanted to see, you know, how James Bond has evolved over time as well, right? So to start off like James Bond, I think you have to start with the the classic James Bond, the you know, the OG James Bond, Sean Connery, uh, right? Yeah. And so to start off with Sean Connery, you know, he's got some really classic James Bond movies. There's two of his that are classified as some of the best James Bond movies of all, of all time. But I went for like, you know, I went right for the uh, throat with Goldfinger, the 1964 James Bond movie. You had to. I, I had to, right? It's it's often considered the best James Bond movie of the entire series, 
Um, there is a couple more. There's one in particular that sometimes competes for that title, and I did do that one as well, so I'll discuss that one later. Okay. But this is a really fascinating movie. It come, came out in 1964. It's the third James Bond movie in the series. It is based on one of the novels and it's this novel of the same name goldfinger so it's you know it's directly from the source material from ian fleming the mi6 uh military defense intelligence guy uh who wrote these novels who based them heavily off of his own personal experiences and the experiences of the people around him so it's really fascinating movie and it's also a a weird movie because you know this movie is in a sense the movie that all James Bond movies, that all thriller movies, that everything that comes after it is based off of. Because this is the movie that that nails the formula. There's no other James Bond movie. Like, this is the movie that realized every component that needs to be in a James Bond movie to make a thriller successful, basically. And so it's almost, in a sense, a victim of its own success. Because as I was watching it, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but... Every single detail of this film has been copied, parodied, reused, rehashed, remixed. Like, there's nothing, it feels like there's nothing original about this film because everything about it was so original at the time that everybody took every aspect of this film and used it in some way or another. That's it's, awesome. It's the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life because I'd never seen this film before and yet I'd seen every single detail of this film. It's kind of like when you go back and you watch classics from like the 40s and you're like it you get such a weird sense of deja vu but yeah. you're watching but you're watching the movies that invented the clichés. Exactly. And that that is that this in a nutshell. Like this this movie shows off like fancy cars, good-looking women. Uh it's the movie the first movie that really shows off technology and like makes tech a focal point of the James Bond series. It's got crazy villains with even crazier plans that almost don't even really make sense but somehow <laughs> they do you know it's got you know the villain expositioning the plan the plot to the main character when he's got him in like an absolute death trap kind of thing that he, you know you can't imagine him ever possibly being able to escape from you know, it's Sean Connery at his most suave, uh, you know, ordering a <laughs> mm -hmm. drink, uh, womanizing everybody. Like, it's it's literally the quintessential James Bond film. Which, like, how many did was Sean Connery the Bond for until this one? Uh, th so this was the third James Bond movie ever, and so this oh, is his right. third outing. I believe he played James Bond seven times. Jesus. But like I said, this is the movie that all of these components were finally brought together. And then everything else after this becomes some version of that, essentially. Uh, the shaken, not stirred quote comes from this movie. There, like there's I could go on and on and on about like all of the everything uh, related to this movie. So is that where is this the movie where the famous quote like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I believe uh -huh. so. Yes. Um, okay. So here's the thing is like. 
for a movie that comes out in 1964, it moves at a pretty brisk pace. And that's something that I'll say about all James Bond movies is you have to be very locked in to watch James Bond because you're traveling to all of these exotic locations constantly. One connection leads to another connection. And if you look away for a second, you're going to completely lose track of this movie and lose sight of what's happening in these films. Um, So these are movies you have to be very locked in on. What I'll also say is every James Bond, like every 007 changes in their persona every movie and sometimes they're a little more subtle than others but sean connery's james bond is definitely the most like one of the most suave out of all of them he's probably the one who's simultaneously most confident in himself and least Mm. confident in himself like he's very you know he grabs his alcohol and he's like always like over the top this is the 60s he's over the top women womanizing uh, women and it's comical in a way because like all of his co-workers just like laugh it off like there are several times where his co-workers are like ah there goes james bond being an alcoholic womanizer again yeah. <laughs> what is it mrs pennyworth or whatever right yeah yeah exactly like there's so many times where it, it they bring it up so it, it becomes kind of like an inside joke that he's you know he's not a good person necessarily <laughs> mm-hmm. so i just read casino the book by oh. Ian Fleming and like the whole point of James Bond in his original like books was that you wouldn't notice him in a crowd whereas uh Sean Connery just walks up to the bar and like looks like a like a devilish handsome man yeah, smoking with, a cigar like, like awesome yeah, accent yeah. like yeah so like he like probably saved the franchise cuz a mo- movie about a boring man He's very meticulous, like, every little detail, like, he thinks it all out, like, there's all these little details, but then this guy just walks up to the bar and, like, he's, like, slaps a girl on the ass and, like, <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And he's got a lot of, like, quippy one-liners as well throughout the film, um, and it's probably, like, the film that has the most kind of cheesy one-liners, mm-hmm. and they work for the most part, they're pretty entertaining, but he's definitely, like... You know, like I said, he's got his own style. He's definitely the most suave out of all the James Bond actors that that I watched. Uh, and that that's what made this film really interesting. And also, you know, because of some of the dated... <laughs> how he treats women and stuff is pretty bad. But it's yeah. funny because it's, like, so ridiculous. Like, you know, would this would never be something that you would, you would look up to in, in today's day and age, right? Like, it, it's just so bizarre. And he's such an alcoholic throughout, too. <laughs> <laughs> what an aspiration yeah so like i said it's it's a weird movie to watch because everything is derivative of that james bond movie in particular so it's almost a movie that that you watch for historical movie purposes like i think that there are people who are going to really enjoy it and I, i would recommend going back and checking it out but it's also a very weird experience and it was the weirdest experience of the three watching it how was the villain the oh I almost forgot to say that as well. So the villain in Goldfinger is probably the best villain out of all the James Bond movies. Mm. So you've got Auric Goldfinger, the very, very wealthy. Um, he He's a gold dealer, basically. But the other thing is, is there's not only one of the best James Bond uh, villains of all time. There's actually two. And that is the um, his henchman, Oddjob. Oddjob is this like yeah. small but very jacked Korean man who has like a it's almost like a metallic hat that he basically like whips at people and kills them with it. 
It's supposed to be like a bowler hat, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I gotta say, like, out of all of the villains, those two are, are bar none my favorite two villains of the entire series. So this movie does have reasons to go back and check it out. But, you know, like I said, it's stated in the Times. What's really interesting as well is because this is the movie where technology became so important to the James Bond series. The technology at that time, the groundbreaking technology is like a GPS in somebody's car. And they're like, look at this, a GPS. Mm -hmm. And it's in our car. Whoa. (laughs) Amazing. We should should figure that out. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think we we have to do it on the podcast at some time in, in more detail, but I think that's where I'm going to leave it. And Jason, I'm really interested in hearing what your first Kevin Costner movie is. Okay. I I have just one more question though. Uh, like, the Bond girl. Who is the Bond girl of that movie? There's know? actually several in this one. Oh, not just one? Such a womanizer. They had to have multiple. <laughs> they had multiple. The obvious one, the I guess the number one Bond girl of this is Pussy Galore. Yeah. So most of James Bond's women in, in the films, and they're often like villains of the films as well. They often have double entendre kind of names or like completely ridiculous names like that. And that Pussy Galore is probably the most ridiculous one. And there's there's a lot of interesting stuff about, you know, especially back at that time, whether or not that that name was allowed to be uh, <laughs> involved in a movie. But yeah. but anyway, uh, yeah, Pussy Galore, the um, she owns like a a plane company that has a bunch of other women who f- do flights and do all these crazy tricks on their planes and stuff like that. I don't really want to spoil the the plot of Goldfinger and I'm not probably going to talk about the plot of the movies any of them in great detail because like I said there's so they're so packed full of details and full of locations and sets mm-hmm. and everything like that. What I will say about Goldfinger as well is that the villain plot is like the most over the top completely crazy plot out of all of them and that's why a lot of like like i said this film feels like you've seen it before because the plot is so ridiculous um Hmm. that's been copied in in a sense and it's also like every movie the time period is also kind of relevant to who the villain is so in the 60s the villain is actually china in this film interesting yeah and it's China versus America, actually. It's not even China versus Britain. It's China versus America, and James Bond kind of just gets involved in this plot, essentially. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, Jason, let's hear your first uh, Kevin Costner movie. All right. So, I think I just lead off with the the one like the reason I wanted to watch Kevin Costner. I just wanted to watch Waterworld. <laughs> okay. Like, I thought it might be Waterworld that you picked, yeah. Yeah, especially like I was preambling a little bit earlier about the um like the divorce and everything like the, some of the reasons why he fell off a little bit. Right, right. And uh yeah, so Waterworld it's basically Mad Max on water. It mm-hmm. was in like the director Kevin Reynolds. He was like approached by a studio and they were like hey do you want to do something kind of mad maxi and he was like fuck yeah let's do it on <laughs> water you wouldn't want that yeah yeah exactly so it was directly inspired for the most part uh on that and that's like there's so many similarities the set design and the costume design it's just unreal like it was really fun to watch overall mm-hmm. it's a very fun movie i didn't even notice any like really bad acting or anything like that it's uh, mostly, I think, that 
there was a uh, like kind of a fight between Kevin Costner and uh, Kevin Reynolds, where they they both wanted um, his character, who's known as the Mariner. He doesn't have a name in the like in the Kevin Costner version. Mm-hmm. There's two or three cuts of this. The, the director's cut oh. is what the original Kevin Reynolds cut. That didn't make it to theaters because Kevin Costner basically fired him and was like, I'm recutting this. <laughs> wow. This is the theatrical release. I want it this way. And they were also like, this was the most expensive movie in the world up to that point until Titanic, like the next year or year after, whatever. Anyways, I watched the deep cut, the Ulysses cut, and that's like the full everything. It's it's quite a bit. Yeah. So the villains were great. There was uh, basically Kevin Costner is on like the whole world is covered in water. Everyone's living on these boats and um, there's little uh, villages. I forget what they're called. Like just villages, like floating villages. And that's like where most people live. He is kind of like an outsider. He does his own thing on his own little catamaran. And it's he's got such a sick boat. One. It's like the interceptor of the uh, the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Like he, um, the first shot of the movie is him like is between his legs, him pissing into a cup, and then he pours that cup into like a contraption that turns it into fresh water. Nice. And, what um, a way to introduce your hero. I know, right? Drinking his own piss. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then like he actually drinks from the bottom of the contraption some fresh water, and then he spits that into a plant that he's like trying to keep alive. And um, then some shit happens and like, it seems like he has like this big catamaran ship that would be like, he can't run it on his own, but then he like kicks a, a, a switch and then automatically the sails pop up and there's all these like gadgets that he has created to make his life like sustainable by himself on this fairly big ship. And it was so cool when that like first kicked in. The villains are called smokers and they live on this uh, massive old freighter that's like a USS, like big US ship, like an army ship. And it's just full of cigarettes and alcohol. And that's why they're <laughs> called the smokers. In like the deep cut or the Ulysses cut, they're like religious fanaticists that have <laughs> built this whole thing. This is like three or 400 years after the apocalypse like really kicked in. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, such a fun movie. Honestly, like Kevin Costner's uh, character was very stoic and sullen, much like Mad Max. And uh, especially in like the newer Mad Max, it's great. <laughs> okay. Highly recommend it. I'm really excited that you picked that one. I haven't watched Waterworld and the reason why I haven't watched it is actually because of this podcast. It's a movie that I really, I'm really excited to do actually sometime because Mad Max is one of my favorite film series and and heroes of film of all time. Mm-hmm. I I've been really excited to watch that one because of all the controversy related to it. So that is definitely one we're going to visit in the next year. I think. Yeah, I recommend it to anyone. Really, like, there's some really cool concepts at play here, and they've like thought out. Like, there's a lot of good ideas, and it's a great post-apocalyptic, like, take that you don't see in any other, like, there hasn't been another Waterworld-type uh, post-apocalypse. 
How's the villain of that series? Uh, like Lord Humongous, Mike and I, when we did Mad Max 2. Yeah, yeah. One of the my favorite villains of all time. Just in... <laughs> What just walk like away <laughs> just walk away <laughs> so it's a guy named the he's the deacon and oh that's cool he lives on this ship he's like the head of the like he's created this whole religious vibe mm-hmm. just to keep all the people that are on this ship in like in a cult check. yeah yeah like he's he's a cult leader and uh like you have to be in this situation they uh these floating island things are called atolls and they've been going around like robbing all of these atolls killing everybody and then like suddenly he's like where like where's all the atolls like like why are they all gone and his little accountant guy that follows him around with a book like he's the only guy who can write in the movie he's like well we might have killed them all (laughs) (laughs) like he doesn't realize that he's he kind of believes his own bullshit you Mm. know Mm-hmm. Interesting. He loses his eye in the beginning of the movie, and it's, like, a very disgusting... Like, they, like, had to fix it up, and they put in a fake eye, and he's like, how does it look? And all, like, his cronies are like, looks gorgeous, sir. And, like, <laughs> it's... Yeah, there's a lot of really fun, playful stuff. In the um, Ulysses cut, the deacon is uh, mapping out a course to intercept the mariner, uh, Kevin Costner, and... Uh, Jack Black is just randomly in the background, like uncredited, <laughs> Whoa, hey. and he's, he's he wasn't credited in the actual release because he wasn't in it. Right. Um, but it was like a really cool little thing. <laughs> so is the Ulysses cut the definitive way to check that movie out? Would you say? I would say so because uh, like it's a little bit choppy, but they did a pretty damn good job. It was actually released on Blu-ray because they did such a good job, um, and um, I would definitely watch it that way. It's. Uh, it gives you the backstory of the villains a lot more and just the the world in general. So there, there's pretty good world building. What I'll say as well before we wrap up this film, we should also say where these movies are available. And so I just looked up Waterworld is available streaming on Prime right now. Not the Ulysses cut, but yeah. Yeah, so you're going to have to look for that one, uh, whether it's streaming somewhere else, uh, a little bit more, you know, less kosher. Yeah. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, you, you buy it online. Mm-hmm. Goldfinger isn't actually streaming anywhere. You're going to have to rent it. But I think the people who are interested in the, that style of James Bond, it's well worth your time. It, it's very interesting film, even though, like I said, it's it's a very weird watch in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one more thing, like Kevin Costner, the Mariner, he's unnamed, but he actually has gills. Oh, Interesting. So he so he's a mutant. They call them mutos. He's like rejected by everyone once they find out. Like at this one atoll, he's rejected. He's like, get out of here, muto. And then they try and kill him. And then the smokers show up. All that classic stuff. But we find out later that uh, because he has the gills and they're actually functional, he can swim and breathe the water. So he's like the next step of evolution, kind of. Unfortunately, and, at that time, they didn't quite have the James Cameron uh, technology down for underwater filming. No, no they, they did a really good job, though. There is <laughs> like there is uh, quite a bit of filming underwater. There's a lot of accidents. Um, well, basically, I saw one YouTuber say that 
like if any movie could get like the most catastrophic the the word for the most catastrophic but least amount of deaths or actual injuries it would be Waterworld for <laughs> nice. filming there was a hurricane that sunk one of the atolls that they built they filmed off of the coast of Hawaii uh Kevin Costner and uh the lead female character or heroine was Jean Triplehorn her name was Helen in the movie and uh they almost drowned same with the little girl um tina Reno, and um the stunt coordinator he dove too deep and came up too quick so he got the bends and almost like exploded from the inside <laughs> yikes yeah it's crazy filming lots of uh problems anyways i could go on but i won't i'll, I'll stop there <laughs> sounds good um Mike, let's hear some more quotes. Let's 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 narrow down our this mystery a little further. All right, here's two more quotes. And I'll say these are both from the main character. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. <laughs> okay. That's very creepy. And here's the other one. What I want and what I need are two different things, Audrey. Man, I am drawing such a hard blank beyond the guesses that I've already made. Yeah, like I don't, I almost, well, I don't think there's a show. I'm, not, about I'm it, deliberately but... not picking like the main big quotes. Yeah. Mm. This, like, it sounds to me like, oh, Hannibal Lecter. Like, it sounds Hannibal Lecter esque, but like, uh, Silence Clarice. of the Lambs. And, yeah, Clarice. All of those movies, Hannibal movies, because there is a show that's more recent than the older movies. I don't think that's it, though. It's definitely not it. Okay. But it sounds well, creepy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> maybe just how the way I read it is creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it wasn't meant to be creepy. Is it Buffy? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't. Th- was Buffy three seasons? I don't know. No, no, you're right. It was a lot I of seasons. I think Buffy was like eight seasons or yeah. something. You might be uh, onto something with the Hannibal show, though, because I think that was three seasons, Jason. You might have gotten yeah. there. I don't know. It was multiple movies, though. But um, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Joss Whedon, who wrote Buffy as well as uh, The Avengers, or like directed, produced, whatever he did. He did a bunch of writing for Waterworld. They flew him out to the ship that they were using for the smokers. And oh, really? he was like, it was seven weeks in hell. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Gotta love it. Poor Joss Whedon. Okay. So was that both quotes? Yeah, that was the two of them. Awesome. All yeah. right. Well, we're, we're starting to narrow it down, I think. My next movie. So I've skipped over actually quite a few James Bond actors at this point because there was one in particular that I was just personally interested in watching. And it also comes at a time period in which we haven't done necessarily a lot of movies from this time period, but I think that it's uh, maybe a favorite of Jason, Mike, and my own just because of you know, the being kids of the 90s, right? So I went with the 1995 film GoldenEye starring, yeah, starring Pierce Brosnan. You had to. I had to, right? Yeah, of course. Funny enough, I've never actually watched this film because while I did have it on DVD in the collector's box that I had, it's the only one out of all the James Bond movies that I own that's scratched and I was never able to watch it. No. And funny enough as well, what I'll say is I've seen a lot of James Bond movies, but I've watched a lot of the lesser known and 
less well-received James Bond movies. So for a, a lot of my life, I, I didn't think that I actually liked James Bond movies <laughs> all that much. Hmm. I think that's happened like to quite a few people accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And, and that's part of what this conversation that I wanted to have today, too, is watching the right James Bond movies and the right James Bond movies for you at the particular moment in time that you're at. And what I'll say about Goldeneye is that it's easily, out of the three movies that I watched, my favorite. It's not necessarily the best. Pierce Brosnan isn't even, I would say, the second best James Bond uh, actor of all time. But this movie has a lot of charisma with its and and it's derivative of two film series actually and it's a response to two film series that are very famous that actually i think that you you've mentioned one of the film series already indiana jones is one of the biggest influences of goldeneye and pierce brosnan's character the other one being in my opinion die hard and john mcclain and and almost even more so the Die Hard John McClane movie series. I thought that this movie had a lot of action mixed with comedy, mixed with, you know, everyday Pierce Brosnan, even though, you know, he's a good looking dude, he's pretty suave, you know, he feels a lot more every man than any of the other James Bond actors. And part of the reason for that is this film opens with a mission with him and Sean Bean, actually. No way. Together. Yeah, 006. Uh. Uh oh yeah 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 alex something alex trebek no (laughs) not quite trebek but it's it's close enough to trebek i'm gonna say trebek because i don't know if i can it's i remember i remember that from the 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 video video game game. yes so 006 and him are on a mission and this is really early on in james bond's career and so 006 actually dies in the opening scene of the film And this movie takes place, the bulk of it takes place actually, I believe, nine years after this event. So it's a decade after into James Bond's career as 007. And what's really interesting about that is I found that he's a lot less sure of himself at this point in time in his career. Like, I think that there's often times where something crazy will happen like some crazy stun and i'll kind of land on his feet and this he'll have this look on his face like i can't believe i just survived that again (laughs) and that happens throughout the film like he's constantly just like how did i survive that like (laughs) and it's kind of a fun entertaining james bond um it's it's one of my favorite portrayals of james bond it's also a movie because of you know some of the stigma around james bond the womanizer the alcoholism all of that this movie constantly wants to tell you that it's doing something different and and i actually thought it did that relatively well um like this is the first james bond movie that judy dench is introduced as m Mm -hmm. and right off the bat because you know like i said this is later on in james bond career they they kind of are at odds with each other because judy dench is this new you know the first woman m in ever kind of thing both in the film series and in in the film uh universe and Pierce Brosnan's James Bond is kind of weary of that. But, you know, she comes in and she's like, we're doing things differently this time. And she basically says that, like, you know, like, I, I get it. I'm different, but this is the way things are now kind of thing. Like the old style of drinking and, you know, nice women is gone kind of thing. And I thought that I really appreciated that aspect of it, that it, it tried to do its own thing. I feel like there was like a... a... Uh, she was like demanding respect or commanding respect. Exactly. And that's yes. like, that's a thing you haven't seen much in 
the the franchise correct yeah it's really fresh like this is a really fresh movie and if you're a fan of indiana jones the charisma of indiana jones or die hard the series this movie is so good i loved this movie i had so much fun with this movie this is easily just and i's favorite of the james bond series that we watched so this movie also has a lot of other cool actors in it especially of this era that all of us know and love um for example Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid in Harry Potter, has oh, really? a starring role. Yeah, in this film, Joe Don Baker is a CIA agent in this. He was the private investigator in Cape Fear, the completely inept private investigator mm. that you and I really appreciated, Mike. I love that guy. We also have Famp Jansen play Jean Grey in the original X-Men series as one of the main James mm. Bond villains of this film. Oh, and yeah. she is... Like, she's like a Black Widow kind of character. She's really good in this film. Really loved her character. I'm trying to find what her name is, really. Uh, Xenia on a top. Hmm. I'm probably not even pronouncing it right. But this film, also, because it's a, a film of the 90s, you know, it's post-Cold War era, but it's all about, you know, the fracturing of, of the Soviet Union and, and different factions of the Soviets trying to assume power and and lead the you know post-soviet era russia kind of thing uh and even maybe regain that glory so this film also has like kind of a timely element to it in the villain and you know like there's there's threats of nuclear war which is something that's actually relatively common in the films uh because there is a an element of nuclear weaponry in goldfinger as well mm. This movie has really good comic timing. It's probably much more fast-paced than a lot of the other James Bond. Not saying that the other James Bond movies aren't fast-paced because actually they're pretty... They they're relatively are, you know, comparatively to other films of their eras. Um, this film is definitely the one that has the most cheesy lines. Like, think Arnold Schwarzenegger-like lines. Like, they're all very memorable. They're all used very well throughout the <laughs> film. So there's so much as a 90s kid to just love about this film. Ice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully exactly. not that bad. But some maybe. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. I, I really love this one. So one aspect that I didn't talk about in Goldfinger that's true across all of the James Bond movies is all of them have like very over the top like singing intro credits yeah. where they have like original songs and it'll be like this cool montage or something. This one's the weirdest one out of all three. The song is really good, like musically, and it's sung by Tina Turner, and she does a great job, but the lyrics are just an absolute, like, mess. Like, uh, like <laughs> it's a weird story that they're telling in, in the song, so I'd recommend listening to it because Jess and I were just laughing throughout. Yeah. There's also a character in this movie who dies, like, 12 times. Uh, Like, every time... <laughs> like, they should have died like 12 times throughout this movie. And I just kept like saying it like they'd be dead there. They'd be dead there. <laughs> and like, and, <laughs> and it got to the point where like Jess and I were just like, like yelling at the TV dead, dead. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with this one. This is, I, I can't recommend going and checking out Goldeneye enough if you haven't seen it in a long time. And like you said, Jason, it also spawned one of the greatest uh, or one of the most revered video games of all time. Yeah, that video game was absolutely amazing on the N64. Mm -hmm. I had oh, so much yeah. fun playing that. That's like where the love for um, 007, I think, exists for a lot of guys or a lot of people our age. Right. It's like that video game makes you want to be like, oh, I, I should actually watch all 27 sometime. 
Um, yeah. I did also see that uh, like computer graphics were used to create the first uh, gun barrel opening. Like that was the first film to use CGI. Also, this is the first like GoldenEye is the first completely original James Bond movie without Correct. reference to Ian Fleming's novels. Yes, and and a lot of it, I think, again, because becomes a response to the films of the '80s and '90s and the way that action and thrillers were trending. And yeah, and like I said, it's really good. It's really entertaining. It's it's a movie that I would really recommend watching. Awesome, I'm down to rewatch that. Also, I'll say as well is that I have seen other uh, Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies, and I gotta say that none of them hold a candle to this one this is his first outing it's by far the best um i like i feel you know, like sorry i was just gonna say you know i'm not the biggest james bond fan but i always forget that he was james bond yeah i don't know what it is it never like it never really sunk in with me that he was james bond i just remember him with halle berry in yes. uh the, oh, one okay. of the other ones yeah. and yeah. like i'll always remember him as that james bond because of the video game so that's the only reason I would have like remembered basically. Yeah, I think this one is maybe slightly underrated in the James Bond filmography. It's I th- I believe a lot of the movie lists have it around number 7, uh number 5 through 7 oftentimes, but I okay. I got to say I had the most fun with this one. I really genuinely enjoyed it. I'm seeing it at number 10 now because some of the new ones have bumped Right, correct. Yeah, but like I said, don't sleep on this one. It's so much fun. You know, we've got even like an appearance of Sean Bean in it who dies. In the first little, (laughs) the first like few minutes. Yeah, like what more can you ask for than uh, Sean Bean dying in a film? You know, it's a good property when Sean Bean eats it. Yeah. 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 What if we invite Sean Bean on the podcast and he dies mid-recording? Literally. That yeah, would, that would just take everything <laughs> full circle. That would make us famous, and they, people would be like, this has to be a good podcast then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should have Sean Bean on this podcast and have him inexplicably like die on camera, like be our only camera uh, episode ever, and then just like never bring it up again. Like He just disappears <laughs> from the episode, and we're just like, and there goes Sean Bean. He's gone. And there <laughs> goes Sean Bean, yeah. yeah. like No, it'll be like Doki Doki Literature Ch- Club. where like Literature the- Chub? it'll be let me try that again it'll be like wow where's my head today it'll be like doki doki literature club where like the podcast will then just reset with him not there and none of us bring it up yeah it's just like "Ah." (laughs) by the way spoilers for doki doki literature club whatever the fuck that is (laughs) blake knows i made him play it you did unfortunately make me play it (sighs) okay you did guess one of the next ones. If mm. um, I'll give you another guess, it's 1990, and uh, yeah, Dance with the Wolves. Yeah, yeah. This is like <laughs> one is one of his absolute best, uh, mm-hmm. technically like best received. It's a long movie. It is a long movie. It's like watched, three hours, right? I watched the extended cut, three Ooh. hours fifty six minutes. Jesus <laughs> Christ, that's like Gone with the Wind length. Yeah, I watched it on uh, like 1.5 to two times, like 2x speed. <laughs> so that I could, could, because I thought we were going to be filming that day. So I woke up at eight in the morning on Sunday 
or on Saturday morning or yeah, Saturday morning so that I could watch two movies. <laughs> so you tried to speed run dances with wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and honestly, uh, I think it works. <laughs> Overall, it's a really good movie. It's one of his best um, acting roles. I don't think it's like, I have to watch the other movies, but there's, I think like this is his best that everyone knows. I yeah. think a perfect world and like a few other ones actually like vie for top like of his best acting roles so far dances with wolves uh he is a civil war soldier and it's at the beginning of well not the beginning there's still a little bit of wild left in america and Hmm. he is uh it starts off pretty like fast with the introduction to him on the front lines and he's been like blown up his legs uh bleeding like crazy he's in the medical tent and uh they're like we're gonna have to cut off your leg and then the doctor's like i need a smoke first though and then he (laughs) he leaves the room and then uh he like kevin costner puts on his uh boot and just walks back to the front line and when he gets there it's a stalemate complete standoff uh, they like put a um, like a helmet on a stick and then it gets shot and like same with the other side and then uh, his like the one guy above him was like the major he's trying to show to the general that he's actually trying to do something but the general's like like it's just a shit show nobody's actually doing anything. right because he's out on like the final frontier basically and like Kevin Costner just essentially gets sent out to like you know, run this new village, but there's nobody there when he gets there, right? Yeah, so that's just after this scene where, like, right. this original scene sets it off where uh, basically he he goes out into the middle of the stalemate on his horse and just runs, like, all the whole length of the, the other side's right. line. And they're yes. just trying to fire. They're firing everything they have at him. Mm-hmm. And he makes it, like, all the way to the end completely unharmed. And then... Uh, somebody's like, I bet you can't do that again. And then he <laughs> does it again. And the whole time he's like, his arm, like he's just floating on this horse. Oh my and, God. But like, so like the, quote, it's a really great scene. I will, I will say yeah, that's one and, of like the highlight scenes of the film. Yeah. And that's why I'm kind of spending a little bit of time on it right now, because it really sets up like where he was like almost kind of suicidal. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically like after he, is in that suicidal spot. He's like, in trying to bring about my own death, I was granted a horse and freedom to go wherever I want to any military station. And he was elevated to a living legend status. Wow. So like everyone in the military knew who he was. And then they're like, where do you want to go? You could go like somewhere super chill. You could go to like a city and like live live well you can have your own farm like something like that whatever he's like no send me to the frontier it's the last frontier i don't know exactly in which state but it's like there's still wild land in america Mm -hmm. so he goes to this outpost everyone had abandoned that outpost and uh he basically gets there and is like like fuck it this is exactly what i came here for to live off the land live like to experience this so he just cleans up the whole place they left it like horrible the, the guy who brings him there gets shot by a like one tribe of um, natives or indigenous peoples. So nobody ends up knowing that he's there 
None, like nobody out of the military knows that he's there. Right. They forget about him. They just lose him. Yeah. When he's leaving to go to from like from the nearest city to there, uh, his like commander that signs off on his orders to go there. Um, as soon as he like is a like half a block away, he hears him shoot himself in a very yeah, he's funny. Crazy. Yeah. He's Jesus. crazy. He's drunk and crazy. And so nobody knows that he wrote these orders. So anyways, he's out there. It's just him. And then um, a wolf trots up to his, uh, like, near him and is, like, just watching him for, like, days. And then uh, eventually, like, feeds him some food. He get, he has all these rations, enough for, like, a full company of men that are supposed to be there. They all left. Uh, so he has some, like, bacon and throws it out and, like, becomes friends with Wolf. But, like, the real meat of the story is his interactions then with the um uh the sioux tribe that is um like closest to him and they are currently in like a bad spot because the buffalo haven't showed up this year and so they're Mm -hmm. they're all quite hungry and so yeah it's a really touching story honestly it really is one of you know there is some negative thoughts about the movie because you know it's it's white savior kind of yeah movie. but and at the same time like you know the indigenous people are are shown in a in a pretty decent light in the in this film like i i this is one of my favorite indigenous like centered films like if you really break it down it's technically not there's not really any white savior stuff going on because he's right. he's yeah. not actually like he doesn't help them that much he gives them mm-hmm. a few things teaches like shows them some interesting things he has like a coffee grinder and he like gives them some guns when they need them but they are teaching him what life should be like and he mm-hmm. eventually like melds right in and uh he doesn't become like their leader or anything like that it's like he he just enjoys life with them and yeah so mm-hmm. that's that's where like the white uh savior trope or like it it can be applied, but you have to look at it deeper to really get to the meat of it. Is it or not? There's yeah, there's a debate there, but yeah, and and I agree with you because like you know ha- having seen this film already myself, like that's what I went in thinking because that's what I'd heard. But I feel like that's a an idea that people have who haven't seen the movie and don't understand the full context of it. Exactly. But I would recommend this movie wholeheartedly. I I, I think that it was fantastic i will watch it again in my lifetime absolutely the one thing i'll say uh actually about my experience with it is i thought kevin costner's reading because he's he narrates the film really heavily um because he's writing letters back presumably at some point when somebody goes to uh actually find him and and you know picks up his letters Mm -hmm. but he's often reading them out I found his reading of those somewhat hollow uh it's like the only negative thing i'll say about the film (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's it I, like Harrison Ford and Blade Runner Hollow? More like Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump. That's Monotone? It. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can pull something out of that and say like it's him remembering in like a very hollow way. Like he remembers it as if it's been ripped af- away from him and he's like compartmentalized that. That's what I would say like to uh, be like devil's advocate to say it was good, but it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily that good. <laughs> Right. That's that's the only negative that I'll say about yeah. the film. Otherwise, I absolutely loved it. I, I really would recommend it. I'm sure it sounds like you really had a lot of fun with it as well. Yeah, I did. I was 
I wanted to do uh, a perfect world instead of this, but I ended up doing this and I'm glad I did because it is as good as it says it is like everything that you know about it. It's that good. It's not absolutely amazing. Did it win the Oscar that year? It did win an Oscar. It did I, win an Oscar. It won seven Oscars, actually, not just oh, one. Okay. <laughs> no 54 big. wins and 98 total nominations. It's the top rated movie 250 on IMDb. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, like that's that. Basically, I wanted to watch Waterworld, and then I saw like the other list of movies, and I was like, man, this guy was actually really good in his prime, and I uh, just like shit happened and he fell off a little bit but like he was at one point like the king of like for the early Absolutely. 90s like he was the top tier actor at yeah. that time i very much agree and like this solidified him with that as well um and like the filming was really good like all the sets and everything the costume the costumes are one thing actually there are like historical inaccuracies with the indigenous costumes that were used yeah the uh i forget her name you're talking about uh the woman yeah mary um, mary mcdonald her yeah character is stands with a fist up her butt <laughs> just kidding um <laughs> Sorry, that stay, that that's stays this. that stays in. That's that is firmly out. I know that that's the only thing that brought me out of this movie was when she said her name, and I was like, obviously, I thought ridiculously oh, immature why jokes. Why would you not? Right, yeah, yeah. right. With no PA, like, um, guys, like, maybe we should change this. Did you listen to the movies that I've talked about? Yeah, fair enough. Pussy um, galore. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, her acting wasn't Oscar level, I don't think. Like, and the fact that this movie won over Goodfellas is a little bit. It's a crime. Ooh. It's not a crime because it's damn good and it deserves it. Yes. But like, if if you're looking at like an amazing emotional, like a moving movie, this is more moving than Goodfellas. But Goodfellas yeah. is like it's. Goodfellas is much more unconventional. Yeah, yeah. Probably the more inventive of the two. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's where, like, yeah, the, the more original story should win, but the this is much more Oscar-worthy, according to the Oscars and everything, the awards that come with all of that and everything. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense to me why this would win more awards than Goodfellas, but, you know... I think I know for a fact Goodfellas is in the top three of my favorite movies of all time. I'm pretty sure, Jason, that it's up there for you as well. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think it's far behind even in your list, Mike. I enjoyed it quite a lot. And for me, like, you know, Dances with Wolves probably makes my top 100 list, but I don't know. I don't think it's in the top 30 of my favorite movies of all time. No. It was good. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. Like, really good. Yeah, it might be in my top 250 at the 250 spot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, but yeah. So uh, what I will say is um, I really did enjoy seeing uh, these big Native American actors that like, I feel like I've seen them a million times yes. because they are those guys and they're they're in like other like really enjoyable roles as well. So, like, Graham Greene was Kicking Bird, who was uh, Kevin Costner in this movie. Is like, his, his name in the movie is Dances with Wolves 
indigenous in the Sioux language, but um, they became like buddies first. They like Kicking Bird brought him into the tribe, and then um, Wind in His Hair became his actual like best friend, and that is like the quote that like when you're watching the movie, that's where you cry because um, Kicking or Wind in His Hair as uh john dunbar or um dances with wolves is leaving to like protect the rest of the tribe at the end of the movie wind in his hair just like i have to get the exact quote because it's damn good i love how you said that uh he go dances with wolves goes to you know uh save the tribe as all white saviors should yeah 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 yeah. he's wait a second here (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so you tried to pull a fast one on me it's not perfect no 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 perfect in that sense he's not saving them from anything but himself he is the most notorious person in the frontier now so he can't Mm -hmm. stay with them because he will bring about their doom, even he's though just it's just so awesome that other people are going to show up. Yeah, and that that's an interesting part of this film as well, right? Because it's there's an inevitability to this film, um, and it's there's and there's a bit of a tragedy in that, right? Um, in that you know that we know that eventually that these people are going to be displaced yeah yeah that that's yeah like they really play that well the writing was very good on that um oh okay okay so uh wind in his hair yells out dances with wolves i am wind in his hair do you see that i'm your friend can you see that you will always be my friend and like he repeats that and it was just like heart-wrenching because Uh. he was such a part of their tribe they accepted him like he was no longer like a white man to them he was a uh, family and of course of course because it's an oscar movie but <laughs> but it was they they played it very well and you actually felt something like true there yeah so that's i guess where i'll leave that cool cool mike you want to hit us up with a couple more quotes sure i got two Get more hopefully closer here to uh whatever the hell you picked i'm actually pleasantly surprised i'll just say none of you have got it yet neither of you have got it yet wow yeah okay so here's quote number one or i guess quote number five our job is simple break the code solve the crime hmm. and now number six in the heat of the investigative pursuit the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line. So we're doing it's a crime and it's like a procedural crime. Maybe, kind of who knows. Huh. This is the that last quote reminds me of like Inception where they like fold the planet over so they could get to the you know what I mean? Yeah. And that reminds me of another show or movie that I've watched recently but I can't remember and I don't think it's it but Man, you're yeah, you're really throwing us for a loop here. Okay, you know what? When I tell you what it is, you're gonna like slap yourselves on the forehead. <laughs> okay. It's definitely rush hour. <laughs> you get yeah, it's rush hour. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> it's not rush hour. <laughs> it's that movie that is always in the background of The Simpsons. It's not The Simpsons. It's the actual oh, the, the, the McBain the, thing. Yeah. Mc, yeah. Yeah. Man, MacGruber, MacGyver. He did MacGyver and MacGruber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
right. I was thinking, what if I just did a fake TV show and told you guys all about it and like made up a bunch of actors? Like, how long can I keep that going before you guys caught me? That would be pretty funny. Yeah. Because I feel like once once you say some things, I'm going to look it up. So you'd also have to create some yeah. websites and stuff. <laughs> this would 100%. be like a Nathan for you level con. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I think it's me, right? Uh, it's Yeah, it's you. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last James Bond film to do. And, you know, keeping with my theme, I did a new Bond, a new era of Bond. And there's only really one James Bond actor and era left that I we haven't talked about um, chronologically, and that's the Daniel Craig 2000s James Bond. Ooh. And so what I went with was, again, the obvious one, the Casino Royale from 2006. Nice. nice. It's a movie that I haven't seen since it's come out, even though I own the DVD of it. <laughs> I don't know that I was a massive fan of it at that time, I will say it's grown on me a lot since then. Uh, Daniel Craig plays James Bond at the beginning of his career. Uh, So to note, Casino Royale was a novel of Ian Fleming's. It's actually James Bond's first novel. It's his origin story, essentially. And so not only does this film, is it essentially a reboot of the franchise again, Mm -hmm. but it's also a origin story in a way of James Bond seen differently than in comparison Goldeneye at an earlier part in James Bond's career um, so at the beginning of the film James Bond doesn't even have his double O status yet not actually a an MI6 agent um, and that's something he gets and so what I'll say about this film is again sticking with the times this film is a very serious film like the mid-2000s was a very serious time think the dark knight which comes out two years later um i think the dark knight actually is a film that shares a lot with something like casino royale because it's dark it's very grounded in reality the big bad of casino royale isn't some crazy evil genius or some you know nazi adjacent figure or some soviet figure uh person it's a banker who is funding terrorism essentially Huh. And and the film is kind of centered around terrorist organizations and how they operate. And Mads Mikkelsen just killed it. Was yes. that Mads Mikkelsen? Oh. Yeah, it was Mads Mikkelsen in Casino Royale. I don't remember With that. His, like, didn't his eye bleed yes, or something? Yes, he had a bleeding eye because, yeah, yeah I... I I won't get into too much of all those details, but yeah, he plays. He's a pretty good villain in this. I again, like Goldfinger, had the best villains of the three, but he he does a pretty good job with what he's got. And like I said, it's a much more grounded film. It's grittier. Like there's not as much. There's not even close to as much comedy or like quippy one-liners. James Bond himself is so much more serious than the other ones. Like and and so much like more sure of himself. For example, this is so early in his career that I think that what Daniel Craig was going for was just you know a younger guy who is just invincible or felt invincible. Mm. And so it, it's really interesting because this film really tears James Bond apart and really like rips away all of that ego and all of that like i'm the best and it just leaves him with like a shell of who he becomes later on essentially so it's your late 20s essentially (laughs) yeah yeah basically (laughs) and he plays it he like executes on it really well and and it makes him a very interesting james bond to watch because of that whereas like i said um Pierce Brosnan be, being an older James Bond, you know, like I said, he he doesn't feel invincible anymore. Same thing with 
um sean connery sean connery as well like sean connery is kind of a goofball uh a little bit like he's suave but he's also like a goofball and there are times when it's like he he almost like lucks him his way through things like things just kind of happen and he's just like hmm okay i'll just go with that sean connery mm-hmm. kind of seemed like he was having a good time like um well, maybe not a good time, but there's the, every I think every James Bond actor at some point has enough of playing the character and I think right around the time of Goldfinger is when when he starts to lose interest in the character. Uh, oh because, yeah, I forgot about that. Didn't Sean yeah. Connery hate playing James Bond? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you get these actors who get play these iconic roles and it turns out they actually hate them. I was just watching um Who's the guy who plays Better Call Saul? Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. He was saying, like, it was so hard to stay in that role, in that guy's mind the whole time, that it, like, messed with him. Not saying that James Bond is the same, but, like, any of those roles, it's, like, like you you can't wait for it to be over because it takes a toll. Yeah. Mm. And and this film not only does it take a toll on Daniel Craig, but it ta- like I said, it really takes a toll on who James Bond is at this particular yeah. moment in time, right. uh, which is really fascinating. And the other thing that I'll say about this film is, like I said, with Goldeneye, it's a these films in this era of James Bond and and subsequent to you know the Sean Connery OG, like each film series feels like a response to the trends of the time the movie trends of the time this feels like a direct response to like the mission impossible series and jason Bourne, especially oh i forgot about those movies yeah so like they're very very serious in comparison and there's a lot less like crazy gadgets in this one as well and he also gets like beat the fuck up yeah which is not like a not common thing for other bond movies yeah. He also beats the fuck out of people. Like, yeah, it's yeah. less silly. Like, yeah, that's exactly it. And like I said, like, there's an invincibility that is lost at, at eventually in this film. It's it's a really interesting movie, and I would highly recommend it. Like I said, it's it's my second favorite of the three that I watched. Like, uh, Goldeneye just is special to me, and in, in the the sense of like where it fits into film history, I think, and and what it's trying to do. But what I'll say is, like, out of all the James Bond, this one, cinematography, like, set, location, like, this film is cool. Like, this mm-hmm. film just oozes charisma and, like, charm. Like, not necessarily charm, but it, it just, it's so fascinating. You know, we're flying out to the Bahamas. Yeah, we're going to Monte Carlo to play Texas Hold'em, which is, at that particular time, like, peak poker in in the world kind of thing it's beautiful it's it's so bright it's so like well shot like it's it's we're in venice for the the last act of the film like just everything is so cool and so like awesome i just saw a clip randomly that um where mads mickelson was talking about the movie and he was basically like uh everyone else on the set they played poker. They understood poker. They loved poker. Like Mads mm-hmm. Mikkelsen is really good at poker. Daniel Craig did not know a single thing. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And what it, what this film does a good job of as well is it uh, it does a pretty good job of explaining how Texas Hold'em works while you're playing it, and not in like a a really explainy kind of way necessarily. It didn't feel like at, at times like it wasn't too bad. Like mm-hmm. you know, it also explained stock trading because that was a 
really relevant time at that period in time as well um and how that relates to the shivra um mads mickelson's character and, and how he does the banking for the terrorist organizations it's just such a film of its time like it's so mm-hmm. it's so interesting it's so 2006 like I don't know another film other than like The Dark Knight that would describe the mid 2000s, really. It really was kind of a brooding time, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. And this film, like, it doesn't have, it doesn't even have like the scene where they go into the tech room and see all the latest crazy gadgets. Like, that's yeah. not in here. What I'll say is the opening song is hands down my favorite of the three that we listen to because it's Chris Cornell singing, and Chris Cornell is my one of my favorite voices in rock and roll um Mm. rip chris cornell but it's really really good the bond woman in this film is vesper uh lind played by ava green ava green who's absolutely gorgeous in this film Mm. judy dench is firing on all cylinders and and it's really great and what i'll say to kind of wrap things up with this is that these three films, especially GoldenEye and Casino Royale, really lend to the idea of James Bond being a code name, 007 being a status rather than a person. Mm. And a, a lot of that is tied into Judy Dench, in my opinion, because uh, like Judy Dench at times in this film is like, I've dealt with your predecessors before and the ridiculous shenanigans they've had. And yeah. like, I'm not going to do it with you kind of thing. And like, yeah. there's there's a lot of banter between the two of them. Even when Judy Dench appears in GoldenEye and, you know, she's the new person in town, the new sheriff in town and, and how that kind of conflicts with the old kind of style of M16 and the old style of James Bond. Like, there's a lot of cool connections between... Goldeneye and Casino Royale in that sense. Uh, so uh, they kind of work well together as as a film series. So yeah, you should really go check this one out. I know that the rest of the Daniel Craig films are all relatively well regarded. I think the second one in the series is is probably the weakest one out of the three or four that he's in. Quantum of Solace. That's the only other one of Daniel Craig's that I watched because I think I at that point is when, you know, like I said, Casino Royale at the time didn't really connect with me and it connects with me a lot more now that I'm seeing it and, and understanding it more uh, because I was a kid at that point too, right? Like I didn't yeah. understand it as a kid the same way, especially looking back at that time period of human history, why, why it was so relevant in that particular moment in time. But it is a really, really good movie. Very, very good movie. Daniel Craig kind of got screwed over in his career because I think there was a writer's strike and COVID both like two separate instances where like there should have been another movie in between either Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace or like the next two. So like we, we kind of got robbed of a potential other like amazing movie. Did we though? Cause I mean, thinking at it, thinking about it now, he was James Bond for 15 years. Like, he yeah. was James Bond for five movies. Like, that's a pretty solid run. So my understanding as well is that Daniel Craig was also not a big fan of playing James Bond as well and was looking to get out Oh, geez. No, way earlier. Nobody has a good time with that role. Yeah, but it's also because the second movie got screwed over by the writing. Like, that would obviously make the experience worse for him. I guess that would kill your enthusiasm a bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely recommend it. 
It's a fascinating film. It's definitely the best made film. Daniel Craig to the generation below us is definitely going to be, you know, most familiar with this style of James Bond than than any of the other ones, right? But mm. it's well worth your time. It's it's a really cool rewatch in 2023. Okay. I'd cool. rewatch it, yeah. All right. So I actually have... Uh, I, I remember the thing that I was trying to say earlier that didn't make any sense. Um, so <laughs> both Die Hard and James Bond are linked to this next movie. So cool. Sean Connery is in it. Mm-hmm. And Alan Rickman. <laughs> Ooh. Which movie is this? You already said it. Harry Potter? No. It's um, Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves. Oh, it was Robin Hood. I guessed it right earlier. Yeah, yeah, you got all three. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I guess I know my Kevin Costner. Yeah, you do. And man, this was so fun. Kevin Costner is like the worst part of this movie, and he's not that bad. <laughs> like, what, what a ring endorsement. Yeah. Although I heard exactly. Alan Rickman steals every scene that he's in. Everything. I mean, it's everything. Alan Rickman, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's Alan Rickman unleashed because he didn't really want to be in this, but he wanted something to um, separate him a little bit from Die Hard, which mm. was, uh, was that 1990? I think it was like 1988 or 1988? 1987, maybe 89. I think 88 it was 89. sounds familiar. I want to say 88. 89, 88. It's okay. 88. Okay. So that was like his last huge thing, obviously. And like, that's and his what... first huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, everyone knew him as the villain. I forget his name. Hans Hard. Gruber. Hans Gruber, of Hans course. Hans Gruber. Yeah. So that's why he took this and like he negotiated basically, I want to write all my own shit for this he got the script and he's like this is a boring character give me the right like give me the freedom to write this and he had like a, a friend of his help him do it I, I didn't find out who that was that's so cool yeah so all of the like great lines come from him all of the like craziness of the movie like the fun parts are like all centered around him he is the sheriff of nottingham Watching this, it brought back all of like the Robin Hood storylines and characters and stuff like that. So, that, mm. like, you eventually meet Little John and Friar Tuck and Marion. And, like, th- yeah, there's a lot of characters where I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm thinking back and I start to remember them. Mostly from, um, what's that, like, cartoon version of Robin Hood? Robin Hood Menacites. Are you talking about Rocket Not Robin Menetites. Hood? Like the, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Rocket I, Robin Hood. It used to air on Teletoon. Yeah, exactly. So that's like that's where I know the characters from mostly. And then there have been quite a few iterations of Robin Hood. Most recently with um, the guy who was in Vikings. Charlie Hunnam. It, yeah, it was horrible. No, he wasn't. Oh. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam. Wrong guy. They look similar. Do you guys yeah. remember the Russell Crowe Robin Hood by Ridley Scott? Yes, also not good. Nobody, I don't remember a single I have God- that on DVD, and it is just so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> I just remember um, there's the bald guy who's very obviously the villain. And like, There's a scene later in the movie where they're like, oh, that guy's evil. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the newest one was... Well, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which kind of, Oh, wait. Am I completely mixing this up? You I am, be. I think. I am. Yeah. 
Yes, King Arthur and Robin Hood, different, uh, different, legends. different guys, yes, different yes, guys, but also have been done many times. Anyways, yes. this Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, like it started off a little serious, where Robin Hood's in jail and like, he was just fighting the, um, he was in the Crusades and the Crusades went horribly. Yeah, not a good time. No. And so he was in jail for like four or five years or something like that with his best friend and all his, like he had a whole crew and everything that came over with him. And uh, he escapes with um, Morgan Freeman is uh, a character named Azim and he, they become great friends, but uh, they escape with his other best friend, his childhood best friend and his childhood best friend dies in his arms. And it's like all super sad, but then he comes back to England and he just turns into like a, like a fun fool character and he has the worst english accent kevin costner like could not pull this off and i think even even morgan freeman's accent was like kind of not that great but But it's morgan um, freeman so you kind of give him a pass yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and he was a great character um he i forget the what they call him amour achu no his name is azim (laughs) Sorry, but, that was a Men in Tights uh, joke. Right, right, right. <laughs> For a second, I was like, whoa, Blake. <laughs> I'm seeing a different side to you tonight. When was that Dave one? Chappelle. When was Robin Hood Men in Tights? 1993. Is... Yeah. So two years after this one. So like, okay. this was like the first one that where it was like a really fun character, I think. But yeah, uh, sorry, I was saying that Morgan Freeman is Azim, who's a Moorish man. He's Muslim and like there's, he has this like big, curved sword he was really cool character but man the sheriff of nottingham was just like alan rickman was so good and i watched Mm -hmm. the extended cut for this as well nice and he his mother was basically cut out of the scene but she's like a witch who can see the future and everything and um we find out later that she was just spying on him through these holes in the walls to figure out how to make it seem like she was predicting the future and um you see like the whole band get together they live in the forest while uh the sheriff of nottingham is basically reigning over england or like and he's bringing in all this power and stuff they start robbing from him and the other rich people and giving it to the poor and they like have a whole little village by the end like a whole army yeah your standard robin hood tale yeah yeah exactly just with some really great performances and yeah some not so great uh <laughs> accents accents yeah yeah and uh, so like one of the best lines was from alan rickman and um he was like yelling at robin at one point he's like i'm gonna cut your heart out with a spoon and then his like late like this next scene he has this cousin who's like a a shitty like evil little like wormy rat-tailed cousin kind of g- thing and he's like when you said uh you were gonna cut his heart out with a spoon why like why would you cut it why wouldn't you use an axe or a like a blade and uh he's like because it's dull you twit and it it was in that like alan rickman voice it was so fucking perfect overall there's not that much to talk about this it was a good movie it was really fun it wasn't great but it's worth a watch especially if you're if you want to see Alan Rickman, like, free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
That's definitely a movie that I want to check out at some point because I have heard great things, especially about Alan Rickman's performance with it. It's it's a movie that's on our list to check out for fantasy at some point for sure, or medieval kind of films. I do want to say one more thing about Casino Royale I was just thinking about before we get to Mike, uh, your grand. I have been sitting so patiently this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I'm going to say about Casino Royale is that it feels like a better step in the right direction for the female characters in the film. Like, you know, M is a great step in the right direction as Judy or Judy Dench is M in Goldeneye and then in Casino Royale. But Ava Green's character plays like an equal in in Casino Royale, essentially. Um, and you know there are parts in it where they they maybe make some decisions that you know people might not necessarily love, but they're consistent with the character. But I thought Ava Green's performance in it is fantastic and and is like really really a step in in the right direction for the James Bond series. Yeah, even the the newest James Bond, uh, the female characters were very badass as well, and like on the same mm-hmm. level. I also I have to say one more thing about Robin Hood. Yeah, Sean Connery came in at the very end as King Richard coming back, and like Robin oh. just saved the day, and he got the girl, and he's at his wedding, and Sean Connery just comes up, and like it's at the point where Friar Tuck is marrying them, and he's like, uh, "You may now kiss the bride," or, or no, it's uh, you know, when people are like, "If you want to interrupt this." You know oh, that line? If anyone has any objections, speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, he just comes in with that great like Scottish accent and he's like, I object unless you will let me give her away. And it's like, yeah. So he just comes in at the very end. <laughs> cool. That is kind of funny. <laughs> Although I have to say, as a man, that's the last person you want to see at your wedding is Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he came in like very intimidating at first. And then it was all laughy, funny, like whatever. That's pretty funny. Nice. All right. All right. Let's do this. All right. I'm going to take us home, and I'm a little tired, so I may breeze through this a bit. Um, so I can't believe neither of you two got it. Give us some really good hints and, like, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you the most famous quote, and let's see if you guys can get it. Um, okay. Let me just make sure I got it correctly. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. It's Twin Peaks. Oh, it's Twin Peaks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I don't know anything about Twin Peaks. David okay. Fincher, right? David Lynch. David Lynch. David Lynch. Blake's favorite director. So, what do you take <laughs> when you take overblown soap opera melodrama, police procedural, a small town setting, Kyle MacLachlan, and one of the weirdest human beings to ever live? You get Twin Peaks. Yeah. So the whole premise of the first season is, again, this is like, it's drama, but also horror, and there's a detective element, but there's also kind of, this was in 1990, and there was a bunch of big soap operas, or like primetime melodramas on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Dallas was probably the biggest one. David Lynch just rode into town and just really, really made one of the weirdest seven episodes of television of all time. <laughs> and like, you have to think about what, like if Twin Peaks came out now, it would be fun, but like, you have to remember the time period this came out in, right? This was pre peak TV. So like the whole idea of like, 
we're going to do these genre bending conventions. We're going to tell this weird story and we're going to have a bunch of like really distinguished actors show up too. Like that had never really been done before. Like, um, my mom still remembers when Twin Peaks was airing and just everybody was talking about it. Hmm. Right. The whole premise of the first season is Laura Palmer, the homecoming queen has just been found dead and nobody knows who did it. So Kyle McLaughlin plays special agent Dale Cooper, who comes to town to try to figure out what's going on. And because David Lynch is at the helm, a lot of really weird shit happens. So <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Dale Cooper himself, played by Kyle McLaughlin, is one of the like kookiest detectives of all time. Like, he's really good at his... I, sh- I should ask, have either of you guys seen it at all? No, I've okay. never seen Twin Peaks. It is on my list to check out at some point because it is a very, very famous TV series. I know you're not a huge David Lynch fan, Blake, but you would probably really like it. So you say that, and I guess, you know, looking at his filmography, I actually haven't seen any David Lynch other than his original Dune, which he essentially... Okay. Uh, disowned. Yeah. So the probably in terms of movies, the one that's the closest to the tone of the show would probably be like Blue Velvet, I mm-hmm. think. And and he's the, like he's the guy who did Eraserhead and Elephant Man. He's kind of like uh, similar to Felici. What's his name? Federico Fellini. Federico Fellini. And and that you know I discussed you know why I didn't like his films and why I don't like those kind of films in general. And that's kind of what he's known for is making really deep really weird shit yeah 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 Yeah. like artsy kind of things well the first season of twin peaks anyways is pretty i feel like he had to rein himself in because he was on network tv now what's tragic about twin peaks is that it had a really promising seven episode first season and then a bunch of things went wrong in the second season Hmm. i don't want to go into it too much but it's kind of So the whole deal is you don't really find out who killed Laura Palmer at the end of the first season. Ah. And yeah, spoilers. And David Lynch (laughs) and his writing partner, Mark Frost, kind of deliberately left it vague. Like the whole idea was they never really wanted to answer that. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that sounds weird if you're just listening to me gab on about it right now and you don't know anything about the show, but the show really does kind of become an ensemble. Like it, It's almost like a Stephen King, it's almost like Salem's Lot in the sense that it becomes Mm -hmm. a story about the town itself, right? Right. Like it's, it's, again, it's very David Lynchian in the sense that like, it seems like this really happy-go-lucky small town where everybody's, everything's cool. But like, as the show progresses, you find out all the dark secrets everyone's hiding. Like Also like Needful Things by Stephen King. Also like Needful Things. Like there's a lot of affairs going on. There's a lot of conspiracies and like backroom politics. Like it's very, it's very interesting. So anyways, um, again, spoilers. They do resolve who killed Laura Palmer kind of partway through the second season. And again, it was apparently more of an executive meddling situation where the executives were like, well, you need to answer that question. And David Lynch and Mm -hmm. Mark Frost didn't want to. And then their relationship soured. So Mm. um, their season two still has its defenders, but it's kind of universally accepted that it kind of ratings kind of tanked pretty hard in the second season. So I guess um, the studio 
or the production company had greenlit a third season, but because season two did so poorly, or at least underperformed, they decided not to do a third season, but they gave David Lynch the opportunity to do a movie. Hmm. So that's where the six seasons in a movie comes in. So the movie is called Dang. Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. And um, it's interesting because the whole story takes place because Laura Palmer, this homecoming queen, cheerleader, universe, like beautiful blonde girl, loved by everyone, et cetera, et cetera. Her death is what kicks off the series, right? But then again, as the series goes on, you find out that she had her own dark secrets and maybe had mm-hmm. her own double life that she might have been living. But you don't really see much of Laura Palmer in the first two seasons. Like, she'll show up occasionally in flashbacks, but not really. So what's interesting is that the movie Firewalk With Me is a prequel that shows the last seven days of her life. Huh. Yeah. So do do you get the answer? Well, it was kind of already revealed in the second season who killed Laura Palmer, but... I would say I was trying to watch Firewalk with me from the perspective of someone who hadn't seen the first two seasons, like in the sense that like, will this movie make sense if you're not already a Twin Peaks fan? And let me just put my cards on the table right now. This movie barely makes sense if you are a Twin Peaks fan. Like, <laughs> this is where there is some real David Lynch shenanigans going on in this movie. Like there's a scene where like Laura Palmer's mom kind of is sleeping and then she wakes up from a doze. And, like, she looks at the end of her bed, and there's nothing there. But then all of a sudden, there's a white horse at the end of her bed. And then the white horse vanishes, and it's like, all right. Did that happen? No. <laughs> and then, and then uh, Laura Palmer's one was like, oh, my God, I'm in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does she say that? Because that would be hilarious. No, but I would have um, loved that movie. Did you so. watch the deleted scenes or, like, the full cut of uh, Firebrook with me? I didn't find out about the full cut until after the fact. I mm. guess the full cut features a lot of scenes from returning cast members, but it was kind of deemed maybe a little too fan servicey at the time. So interesting. From what I just looked up, it, like it sounds like there's a lot of like you you were saying it's like a lot's going on. Yeah. Uh, the there's a lot of scenes that were cut. They were everyone's like why did they cut those it would have made everything else make so much sense watching the movie there were moments where i was just like a scene would end and i'd just be like okay like i guess we're moving on like (laughs) so yeah twin peaks i really really enjoyed the first season i didn't get into the second season just because again i know it goes i would like to watch it at some point i feel like the movie almost kind of has an unpleasant task of trying to it's a prequel it shows the last seven days of Laura Palmer's life. So it's got kind of the unpleasant task of, well, at the time, so Twin Peaks did come back in 2017 for a third season that was apparently did very well. But at the time, it really alienated critics and audiences, partly because like the show was actually, the show is actually really funny. Like the Hmm. show had some genuinely laugh out loud funny moments The movie is kind of funny. Like, it has some great lines. Like, my favorite, you know, I feel blank as a fart. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) and it's interesting in the sense that you finally get a story from Laura Palmer's perspective, which is interesting. But let me just say, the last seven days of her life were not pleasant. (laughs) Like, 
I will right. I will put a content warning for depictions of sexual assault on this movie. It's not yep. if you're uncomfortable with that and you have every right to be, this movie is not uh, this movie is not a pleasant time. So, also there's a lot of like if you're not into the lore of Twin Peaks with all the different like uh, spoiler, but all the different like let's just call them entities floating around the town, you're going to be really confused by different hmm. aspects of this movie. What I find really interesting about this too is that something like Twin Peaks, it sounds like, you know, it's very, especially the first season, sounds like it's very well written. And it sounds like, you know, there's a deep, rich history and lore. And the movie also kind of has an impossible task of fitting into that, that lore, right? And not like undoing anything that the show's done. And it's also, I find what's really interesting as a comparison to this is a lot of TV and movies will often show us something in society in like collapse or something almost like or society after the major events of something has happened and the, i guess the biggest one the most recent one that i can think of is game of thrones like the the series of game of thrones takes place after the big war and i can't remember what uh what's her the mother of dragons uh oh daenerys targaryen yeah the targaryens like it takes place after the targaryens have been overthrown and after yeah. like all of these big events have happened and it kind of you know like puts the sh- like the show on this very interesting trajectory of everybody trying to pick up the pieces and vying for power and it sounds almost like you know like that's what the first season of the show is trying to do and then it basically like fills in all the details that are actually less interesting when shown maybe in a chronological order or in, in well, filling in a gap. I think a prequel, all prequels kind of have a thankless task in that like you're filling in backstory that the original material probably didn't need filled in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the classic example is the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Like, yes. fuck you, fight yeah. me. Those movies are terrible. Um, <laughs> no, I will say I will say, Revenge of the Sith is pretty damn good. Jess and I rewatched that recently. Okay, yeah. I rewatched it a couple years ago, and I was like, what is this? But, I mean, there are good prequels. Like, Better Call Saul is still my all-time favorite TV show, which also mm-hmm. stars Kevin Costner. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nice. um, so anyways, no, I don't think the movie... The movie really did not do well when it came out just because I think audiences just didn't know what to make of it. Critics were kind of baffled by it. And, like, hardcore Twin Peaks fans maybe wanted a more satisfying conclusion than they got in season two. Or they just wanted more Twin Peaks. And, of course, David Lynch being fucking David Lynch just did whatever the hell he wanted. And <laughs> But I will say it's gotten a reappraisal in recent years where people have come back and been like, okay. I think some people have argued it's one of David Lynch's best works. So take from that what you will. Um and you didn't watch season three at all? No, I did not. But apparently season three is a really, really good, despite taking place like 20 years later or 25 years later, actually. But um, yeah, no. Also, David Bowie randomly shows up in the movie. Do you remember when we watched The Last Temptation of Christ and David Bowie was just Pontius Pilate for one season? Yep. yep. Well, in, let me just break down. This is I'm just going to break this scene down just so you know what level this movie's on. <laughs> there's a scene where okay david lynch himself plays a fbi commander 
person and he's got hearing aids so he's always shouting at people because he can't <laughs> hear so literally the first scene in the movie is him just at his desk shouting orders at people which i assume was probably just behind the scenes footage that they just spliced into the movie <laughs> <laughs> but um kyle mclaughlin dale cooper he shows up and he's like it's 10 10 on february 16th and david lynch's character is just looking at him and kyle mclaughlin's like I had that weird dream the other night. Remember? That's why I'm scared. Something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> and then um, some weird shit happens. And then David Bowie just walks in and everyone's like, oh, I forget what the character's name is. But they're like, David Bowie, you've been missing for years. What are you doing? And David Bowie just starts shouting some fucking David Lynchian nonsense. <laughs> and there's all these crossfades to like the Red Room, which is like kind of this weird supernatural brain connected to... Twin Peaks, and then the scene just ends, and you're just sitting there like, what? <laughs> so weird. Anyways, I, I'll say for the movie, I was never bored, but it was it's baffling in the way that only David Lynch can be baffling. So that's both <laughs> a pro and a con. Right. But I do, actually, my roommate and I re- rewatched the first season of Twin Peaks last year, and we both really, really enjoyed it. Like, it does, it does really, really hold up. Cool. Yeah, so, I've got to check it out. It's definitely on my list. Uh, I'm I'm glad you did that one, actually. Yeah, I haven't gone back and watched any old shows, really. So I feel like I should start adding those into the rotation. It's also just like, it's kind of like quaint, right? Like, so this, the movie Firewalk With Me shows the last seven days of Laura Palmer's life. But the first 20 minutes is kind of like a prologue showing these two FBI agents investigating another mm. murder and like there's a scene where like somebody's car phone goes off and it's just kind of like oh yeah car phones <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's kind of oh by the way that scene so these two fbi agents are just arresting these two women <laughs> outside a school bus and like all the children are screaming <laughs> like screaming and crying like i guess the implication is like they're arresting the school bus drivers and it's like the scene is never elaborated on you never find out why Weird. it's just a nice. school bus full of shrieking <laughs> children so he just wanted to do like like you know fit weird imagery into his tv and movie mm. uh and and found ways to include that stuff there's also a scene where like the two fbi agents go to a diner and they meet like because they're investigating the murder of this waitress and they meet like the surliest bitches they meet the surliest bitchiest old waitress there named ruth hmm. and they're like oh we're gonna order some food he's like and she's like smoking a cigarette because it's the 90s right she's like you want to hear about our specials we don't got any <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a john mulaney sketch <laughs> kind of yeah i think i might have had my baby jay come out but yeah anyways <laughs> anyways no i'd recommend i'd recommend the show and i'd recommend i'd even recommend the movie despite how david lynchian it is how would you watch it would you watch it season one season two uh movie season three i See, I'm I'm more of a casual Twin Peaks fan. Like I there is a lot of like lore and stuff. Like I know there's been like I think there was even something recently where like they took stock footage or unused footage from the show and the movie and they like pieced together another feature length movie out of it. So huh. you'd have to I mean definitely start with season one, obviously. 
And then, yeah, there's... So season two reveals who killed Laura Palmer, and then the movie shows more of how it happened. So I would, yeah, I would say probably one, two, then movie. And then season three after? Probably something like that, yeah. There's probably some Twin Peaks purists right now who are shaking their fists at me, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm doing my best, okay, guys? Jesus. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, Kyle McLaughlin, actually, I watched him recently in Confess Fletch, which is a really funny movie uh, with basically, I describe it as John Hamm makes facial expressions at ridiculous things for an hour. Oh, yeah. You, you you mentioned that to me. Aren't there a few yeah. Fletch movies? There over are. The past, Chevy like, Chase uh, yeah, did yeah, that's the first couple. I, I've seen both of the originals. The first one is like good, but in like an 80s kind of way. Like I don't know that it holds up. The second one not so good confess fletch i really like jess and i watched it and really had a lot of fun it like just john ham is like made for that role mm-hmm. uh, he's actually a really really funny actor and he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves as a comedian yeah anything i've seen him in where he's being funny he's hilarious um yeah i i know kyle mclaughlin as the captain on how i met your mother of that's course. right that's right yes. but yeah i also watched desperate housewives recently with annabelle and I somehow got sucked into it, and I was actually sucked in. Like, I, I get invested easily into many things, <laughs> but he was creepy in that. So I see how he would fit kind of creepy as the detective. I will, I will, let me just say, this is the last thing I'll say about Twin Peaks. He's delightful. Like, he's yeah. Special Agent Dale Cooper, and he's just this really happy-go-lucky, really quirky guy. Like, he has, nice. a, t- he has a little, like, portable microphone and he keeps leaving notes for somebody named Diane. Hmm. And like, I won't spoil that, but like, and then like, he just loves coffee. Like the famous quote from the show is like, that is a damn fine cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he's always eating pie. Like he's, he's, he's actually, he's charming. He's like really weird, but charming. <laughs> okay. Weird. Yeah. 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 Actually, he, he kind of grounds the whole like town around himself. Cause he's, sort of this outsider who like really falls in love with the town and like he's brilliant but also just weird <laughs> like mm-hmm. so yeah he uh what's funny is he basically plays the captain in uh confessed fletch as well so okay <laughs> so, so there's like a connection to how i met your mother and fletch somehow <laughs> i guess he's been typecast a little yeah and then he's paul atreides in the original dune so what are you going to do, right? I guess David Lynch just grabbed this guy off the shelf one day. Pretty much, and yeah. He's, and he's like, you're with me. <laughs> um, as all good actor and director uh, dynamics work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, I think we have some really great stuff. I guess we should also say, we didn't say where Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is streaming. It's streaming on Crave Stars or Stars Through Prime right now. Casino Royale, you're going to have to go looking for because it's not streaming anywhere. But again, well worth a watch. I'm surprised none of the James Bond films are streaming anywhere, to be honest. Uh, it's been weird lately with uh, James Bond films and all the Netflix and like like everyone's kind of fighting over them, but that they don't want it. Yeah, it's been weird lately. Yeah. This fucking uh, writer's strike too, eh? Oh, writers. We had the worst human beings on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's like... It's a good thing they're doing their the stuff they're doing. I'm saying like fuck the the executives and everything. It's funny like we are kind of like in the next two or three or six or whatever months we're not gonna have new content. Then what do we do? 
and that's well that's our jobs at this point yeah. is to find all of the cool old stuff yeah. uh from yesteryear that that deserves your attention like uh these fine films and tv shows which twin peaks i will say is available to buy on apple tv um and twin peaks oh that sorry that's the new twin peaks i think twin peaks yeah. fire walk with me is on criterion channel which is interesting that it's there mm. It's kind of fucky how it's all scattered throughout all these different screaming, screaming services, <laughs> streaming services. <laughs> they make us want to scream. They sure yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is it. That's some good stuff. I'm man. I've added a few to my collection here to watch. Yeah, I, I love the draft. It's always fun. Yeah, this one's like high. One of the highlights of the year, right? Yeah. For the the podcast. Definitely. Hmm. In terms of what's next, this one's going to come out after a bit of a break. And let me check. There's this one clip or one scene that if I can find the link, I'll send it to you guys um, of it, uh, Robin Hood where um, like Robin Hood's gotten away and Alan Rickman's like super pissed and he like comes into the his, his uh, like witch's lair and he's just like throwing stuff and he just stabs a bunch of fruit that are on this like nice plate and then the witch is like something vexes you and it's just something like the perfect and like how how pissy like his comedic acting like his physical acting was just perfect in that moment that's really funny just hearing just describing that scene made me laugh out loud so yeah you have to watch this movie i'll probably it's, piss it's, myself it's definitely like an anytime watch it's just okay. like anytime that you're feeling like something fun. What was your favorite Costner movie? I out of these three, Prince of Thieves, or, sorry, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I think was the mm. best watch. Um, I really did like uh, both of the others, but I wouldn't watch Dances with Wolves again just because it's so long and like, yeah, it's it is what it is. It's a it's a like classic Oscar movie, and that's not what. Yep. So I really want to see. A perfect world. It's uh, like him with uh, um, Clint Eastwood. I think Clint Eastwood's actually acting in it too. That's cool. What does that guy ever act? <laughs> He's just being himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clint Eastwood is actually acting in it as well. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What was that movie just called? A Perfect World. I think I saw that like last year briefly. Oh, it's got Laura Dern in it too. Yeah, that's the movie where he like kidnaps a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did see that movie. Shit, now I wish I did Clint Eastwood, but like that would have been an obvious pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to go for the Man, I remember next to nothing about that movie though. So, I don't know how great it was. Oh shit, I remember this cuz he has the Casper mask. Fuck, I've seen this back in the day. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh my god, I remember it. The best movies are the ones you forget immediately. Yeah, like I watched this on VHS. That's hilarious. Wow. Oh, shit, I should watch it. And also, Field of Dreams, very good movie. It's, I remember really liking fun. it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's an enjo- it's a, like heartwarming movie. And he was, he was I good don't know if I've ever seen Field of Dreams. I'm down I'm for a good sentimental heartwarming time every now and then. If you build it, they will come. A... All right, let's end her there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, next up, we've got Actor Actress Month. So kind of, uh, you know, adjacent to Jason's, adjacent <laughs> to Jason. 
Yeah. Ooh. And his movie draft experience. So looking forward to that. Last year we did Marilyn Monroe. And uh, you and I had a lot of fun with that, actually. Yeah, it was really fun. Some Like It Hot is fantastic. That's movie. a great movie. Yeah. That's one and of my yeah. favorites. It was awesome to delve into an actor actress that nobody's actually watched their movies classically. Yeah. Like everyone has heard of her, but no one's sat down and watched them. Yeah, so maybe we do something similar to that again, like Audrey Hepburn or something. I don't know. Sound off in the comments below if you're uh, interested in seeing an old actress or actor. Yeah. Oui, oui. See you next time. Uh, like, share, subscribe, tell your mom. Um, I don't think I missed anything. Tell your dad. Tell your dad. Yeah, especially your dad. <laughs> share this with your father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, dad. <laughs> It'll be the deepest conversation you ever had. Yes. It's the only way you'll ever be able to express emotions with your father. <laughs> it's through <That's> right. movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that incredibly depressing note, I think we... <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm waiting for your yeah. bye, honestly. Oh, yeah. Bye.